0: Hello, hello! Welcome to episode 37 of the Golden Question Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be answering the question: What does Richard Wolff get wrong about monopolies? Now, I was going to make a video about what he gets wrong about capitalism as a whole, but that podcast can go on for many hours because there's just so much stuff to talk about. So I might segment it, um, but certainly something that caught my attention because i was watching it i've watched it before but uh i was watching it again was his interview on value tainment with patrick uh patrick bet david who he he is a um capitalist he says he's a capitalist uh but you know i wouldn't see look at him as sort of this beacon of knowledge for capitalism or someone that represents capitalism well. Um, you know, he's he's probably not an Austrian economist at heart. I think he does have some Keynesian uh ideas uh that he supports. Um but I haven't listened to a lot of his stuff. Believe it or not, when I listen to valutainment it's a lot of the times with just some uh pop culture figures, um authors, some self-help stuff i don't really look at the economic stuff uh that he puts out uh just because it's again it's not something that i look forward uh look towards uh in terms of wanting to expand my knowledge in economics i don't go to value taming for that um if i want to expand my knowledge in, in economics look at uh the mises institute uh peter schiff i look at James Rickards, um, Jim Rogers, and I'm forgetting their names right now, but there's a bunch of others that I look uh, at who work for the Mises Institute who have a lot to say about Austrian econ- uh, economics. Um, and when he had Richard Wolf, and I'll just refer to him as Wolff, um, on, they started to talk about uh, monopolies, but before I start, there something that I just want to get out of the way uh, is that it—I've never heard Wolf say this, and he said this for the first time on this podcast. He said, "Yeah, I'm—I'm I'm against government. I'm skeptical of government." I mean, he blatantly said that uh towards the the beginning of the podcast, and it even surprised Patrick. He's like, "Wait, you're—you don't—you're—you—you're you, uh, you're cautious of government. You're skeptical." you're a little bit weary um and if you take what he said at value the rest of his argument really doesn't make sense because what i'm getting at is he says government is bad because you have all these people these wealthy individuals the super rich Sort of, and I quote, he says this a lot: who pull the strings of government, and so government is bad. um I mean, I guess what he's saying is government isn't doing its job, and if only we had better people in government who didn't tempt themselves to these strings from from the rich. But then it doesn't make sense because he says that you anybody you put in government is going to get influenced by these rich. So his sort of plan of action really is to get rid of the rich um, and then establish a government that has no ties to the rich but you can't use government to get rid of government uh, i'm sorry you can't use the government to get rid of the the rich who are pulling the strings because if the rich are pulling the strings why would the rich allow government to sort of backstab itself so the only this is really the the whole communist manifesto is that there's supposed to be this workers revolution there's supposed to be this massive uprising where all these workers go on strike they rush over to all these billionaires they um they kill them or they do whatever they whatever they do to them steal their property um so that they can then create. I mean, they pro, they then have to go to government as well because obviously a lot of these uh, government officials who rely on these wealthy individuals, uh, right? That just puppets him and he uses that word too for for government. These puppets, um obviously, they're not going to want to leave their their seats of position. And uh, even if even if they don't, even if they do want to leave, they should still get punished because they've been listening to these people. Um, they've been acting as puppets. So yeah, they sort of share in, in the crime. And so. You need a revolt against these wealthy individuals first because they're the ones who are pulling the string and then you need a revolt against the government um because they've been the puppets and they've been against sharing in the in the crimes and then you need to build from from scratch so it's very you know very idealistic it's you it it requires bloodshed and tears as they say you you need to have blood you need to sacrifice in terms of killing or The destruction of property or theft, and this is really bad. Like how how can you uh, persuade others to your ideology by saying it requires all these negative things that we say are immoral? It requires death. It requires theft. It requires destruction. It requires just this overhaul of the system um, in such a negative way and it it just doesn't make any sense. If you want to make a system that supposedly is the best system in the world, why does it have to start so gruesomely? But anyways, uh that's something that I just wanted to get out of the way. Uh let's let's go back to the the idea of monopolies. So, uh I think this is where Patrick sort of falls flat. He doesn't really give a good counter argument to what Wolf was saying, and what Wolf was saying was Capitalism is a competition of companies right all these companies are competing against um, consumers who are uh, wanting their products and so as a as a company as a business you need to get the most amount of consumers uh, into your into your business and that means less consumers going into other businesses so if everybody's competing those who aren't be ab- aren't able to attract as many businesses will eventually die out and then you'll you'll and he gave the example he started off 500 and then they eventually get get down until you have two or three left and then he says in that case those two or three either they'll just end up being one because those two or three will just die out or they will just in a sense, he's saying they will merge into one, and they will say the competition between us is not really worth the risk. Let's just shake hands. Let's merge our companies together. Um, because it's only two or three of us, it's it's not that big of a deal, and uh, we can become a monopoly. And really, Patrick's only argument against that was, give me an example today, which uh, I don't you know I don't see how that was a counter argument, but. The problem with what Wolf is saying is he's sort of looking at it on, a, on, on too much of a macro level. He sort of has this false impression that I'm, what I'm saying is the argument that he's making relies on a false premise that all the companies, all these 500 companies, I'm referring to his example, are producing the exact same good. The exact same good, and I'm going to give the example of potato chip. If these 500 companies are producing, uh, and and they're in the they're they have the same target audience, all right? They're in this. They're let's say they're all they all sell nationally, right? They're not local. They all sell to people around 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 the the nation. Uh, so there's no specific market uh, in terms of location or demographic. So they sell to everybody. So we're just making some some constants there. So if they all produce the same bag of chips with the same ingredients and in the same bag, right? The bag is, all their bags are yellow. Their bags all look the same. They all make the same exact chip. They use the same formula. They use the same recipe. They use the same uh, manufacturing process um they all market it the same way then yes you will have a, mono- a a monopoly a single company at the end that is able to do those things most efficiently um, by reducing their costs to a level where they have the most amount of margin uh in which they can use to expand while others who have who aren't able to reduce their costs as much uh eventually fizzle out so in that sense, yes. And in, in, in when you start looking at it um, zoomed out, every business really is a, uh, a monopoly in its own market segment. And that's what I'm going to refer to it as, as a, as a segment of the market. And this is the whole idea of business strategy, really, is if I want to start my own business, I need to ask myself, what can I do? that no other business is doing now. If I can make my own business that does something different in a different way, or even even me creating a chip that is the same exact chip as Lay's, but instead of making the bag yellow, I make the bag red, okay? In that sense, I'm changing the product, although yes, it's still potato chips. Um, But I'm making a variety of that product, which will then attract a different set of consumers. There may be a consumer, now that I've created a bag that, uh, what color did I say, purple or black? Let's say I made a a chip that's, uh, a bag of chips that's black. And then the the one that my competitor has is yellow. There will be a consumer out there who says, you know what, personal preference, I like the black bag of chips better than than the yellow chips. And then in that sense, you're going to have a segmentation between the consumers in that you won't ever have a monopoly because you guys are not targeting the same consumer. At the end of the day, it's the personal preference of the consumer that will choose which company they want if all these variables and constants um, are, are, are given, as I, as I just said. So the the problem that Wolf says is that he assumes that Amazon and Walmart, and he brings the example with Amazon and Walmart as if they're the same exact company. They do things slightly differently. They have different user, I mean, even the website is a differentiation, and that's the word that I wanted to include. Each uh, company differentiates its product and its business from the other. And in that sense, yes, the business is a monopoly in its own market segment if you take a list of all their their uh the factors of their business it is unique what mcdonald's does is unique although from a distance mcdonald's wendy's burger king they look like they're doing the same thing each of them has a very own unique business strategy that's aimed at targeting a specific set of consumers um and at the end of the day it always comes up to personal preference for the consumer. Do I like a company that has a, a female advertised as its logo that's named that that has a feminine name um, and that has a chili soup? Or do I value uh, a company that's that says right it's all it, even the marketing sometimes can differentiate companies. They can offer the same product. It's just they market it in different ways, even though they have the same product. So in that sense that those two companies are differentiated. But at the end of the day, Every company is a monopoly in its own target segment, right? Yes, there may have been points where there I mean it's very rare, but there could have been points where yeah, there are two companies that make the same exact thing um and are located in the same area. I mean, if you're referring to the back in time when companies were more localized, it was even more rare. but let's say in in, this, in, in the same city. You had two stores, a couple of uh, a walk away, right? A walking distance away. And they produced the same exact thing. They had the same logo. They had the same, uh, I guess, maybe the same name, because it can even come down to the name. I like the name of this company better than that. And that could be a, a business strategy. One of our strategies is we like to have this type of name to appeal to these types of people, although it's not really a great strategy. But even sometimes the name, you could boil it down to even the name of the company it could create a differentiation where you attract a certain set of consumers and not others. Um, but Wolf looks at it more in terms of just the the general good that they produce, right? Oh, because they make chips, all these uh, all these chip producing companies are competing against one another. They're not. I mean, there there are companies that that know that acknowledge that there are other companies that that offer a similar good or service, but they probably don't recognize them as a competitor. They're doing their own. I'm doing my own thing. And as I said, I'm going to bring it back to what we learn and what we all learn in in a regular your entry level marketing class or business policy class. It's if you want to start your own business. You need to have a business strategy. And part of that business strategy is finding out how you can differentiate yourself against competitors. And yes, we, we use this term competitors very loosely because you could compete in uh, with different companies in terms of different things. So in, in the most uh, absolute sense, there are no competitors, right? You just have companies that are monopolies that focus on their specific target segment um in the absolute sense if you factor in all the variables but if you just say all right let's just look at potato uh potato uh, chips made from potatoes yes then you could say okay these companies are in competition or companies that have uh large retail uh big box locations then you could say let's um let's uh classify those set of companies as competitors but in the most absolute sense really your company should have no competitors because you're providing a service that is very unique now you can be localized right if i have my business only in seattle and i only serve to that community let's say i don't do shipping or even if i do it still probably won't make a um even if it's like not a significant portion of of my business but if I have a business in Seattle and somebody else decides to open up the same exact business as me, everything the same, no, no differences in Florida. It's still there's still a difference in that we advertise or we provide our services to two different people, and that is a business strategy. Part of our business strategy that differentiates ourselves from that company is. We offer our goods and services to people who live in Florida while they offer their goods and services to people who live in Seattle. And in that sense, the businesses are technically monopolies within that market segment. So, in terms of Seattle, yeah, that business is a monopoly in terms of specifically what it does for that um, type of consumer. And the same goes for the one in Florida. What I'm trying to say at the end of the day is that every business in the technical absolute terms is a monopoly in its own specific market segment and that's the whole beauty is that you have a variety of different goods and services in a u.s economy you don't have when people say variety of goods and services that i could choose from you're not choosing between the same thing you go to the supermarket you see a bunch of different things yeah there some items might have more variations than others but at the end of the day each item is different there are no items that are exactly the same. And you could even take it further by saying even if the item itself was exactly the same, the marketing could be different. The name of the company is different. Uh, the culture of the company is different. There are certain differences that can constitute a uh, uh, as a distinction that now the consumer could say, all right, which company do I want to buy it from? Do I like their, their packaging or this packaging? And in that, that's where the personal preference of the consumer comes. And in that sense, you can never have an absolute monopoly because we all as people have different interests, right? We all like different things. And so there's no way for one company to capture a hundred percent of the market because in that in according to Wolf's logic, right, you're always going to have a lot of companies and then it's going to consolidate into one at the end. So at that stage where you have all these different companies it's impossible for one company to capture 100% of the margin right away because there are going to be other companies that satisfy different personal preferences that their consumers have and so really at the end of the day every company is a monopoly in its own specific market segment you can take certain variables of that company and compare it and and uh uh, yeah, I guess you can call it sort of a a comparative factor or a comparative, um, yeah, I guess a comparative factor that you could take and then say, all right, any company that shares these factors, we can call it a competitor in this sense. Okay, um, and again, it's it's this really shows you just how complex the economy is. It's not simple, right? people, a lot of economists try to present it as this this simplified thing where, yeah, you have industries and you have competitors and you have businesses that just make simple goods and services. It is a very complex process. There are many different things that goes into the production of goods and services. And there's so many different variables. And there's so many different ways that a company can be different from another company. And once you begin to understand that and really once you once and this is sort of the, the the I would say the miracle of capitalism is that once you start to understand the complexities of the market, then you truly appreciate the market and I kind of reference this back to the the uh, in my opinion knowledge in general is that everybody when they look at something for the first time or when they just start learning something they they think it's easy, right because they, they don't know. Uh, what they don't know, they don't know what they don't know. And once you start to realize, or once you start to get to know what you don't know, then you sort of to become humble and acknowledge just how complex the the situation is. And then you start realizing how much you don't know, um, and how much more dumb you are. Right? It's like dumb people think that they're smart, while smart people think that they're dumb, and the reason why that's the case is because a dumb person doesn't know anything, and so how are they going to uh, compare their intellectual level to anything else? While a smart person knows a lot more and they are able to see or, or just glance at stuff that, it, that they don't know, and then they could sort of make a uh, make a comparison in terms of their intelligence relative to what's actually out there right it's almost like if you live in a house uh and or let's say you lived in a box and you've never seen anything else uh, outside of that box you think the world is your box it's a matter of perspective um and you think hey i'm i'm i know a lot this this if this box is all the world is um i'm i'm a pretty smart guy i know everything that's in this box i i i've looked at it for a while and all the corners um uh but once you if once you open the door now they know a lot of the stuff that they previously didn't know then they start realizing wait a second um i was actually wrong before i actually don't know a lot there's a lot of stuff out there that i didn't know so once you start to know what you don't know that's when you realize how much you don't know um and uh i i relate this back also to religion is that a lot of people, when they start looking at life from at a glance, they think, "Yeah, we—I mean, I understand life. There's universes, there's galaxies, there's planets, there's people. We've all—we all evolved from um, from from animals, and we we've uh, you know the small organism, the one-celled organism, turned into bacteria, a couple-celled organism, and then that just mutates and grows. And, and they have this very simplified version of the world." if you once you have the simplified version of the world you don't believe in god because you don't see the actual complexities once you go down and take a microscope and really zoom into the to the micro level um and look at all the complexities of just within a cell which is something that you probably weren't aware of just the individual cell and the individual um uh, structures within the cell and you take a telescope and you look out into the universe and you see all these galaxies. And each galaxy has its own planet and stars. Um, and each, uh, in each planet has its own uh, environment and, and uh, different uh, elements of the periodic table. Um, and all these formations. Um, and all these different uh, chemical elements. Once you start to look at it from a broader picture, now you start to see how much you don't know. And then you start uh, appreciating more of, of the world. And then you could say, hey, I mean, all this, this is way too complex. The nature is way too complex for me to just say this all happened by chance. And so if we relate this back to Wolf, once you start understanding how complex the economy is, how complex the market is, that's when you can begin to appreciate how how this thing all works like how does it even manage to make itself work despite it being this complex and the correlations between the economy and nature are so glaringly obvious for me the the economy is um sort of a uh humanized version of the ecosystem the natural ecosystem right economy ecosystem it's no coincidence that they they sound the same because they're sort of the same thing all these things working in tangent together without human intervention right and this is why i find it ironic that a lot of uh a lot of uh, environmental uh activists and, and uh, environmental scientists tend to be left leaning and they believe in all this government intervention but then when it comes to the environment hey can can a human step in to do something oh no no that's a sin you got to let nature do its thing do not come in. So they they're against human intervention when it comes to ecosystems and biology. But when it comes to the economy, yeah, have all the government invention there. Um, so for uh back to finish my point of Wolf, once Wolf or any any socialist really start to understand the complexities of the market and it's not as simple as they think it is, then they could say to themselves, Yeah, you know what? I don't think a politician or a government official That we vote into office really has any level of, um, first of all, has any level of understanding of the uh, of the economy, let alone has the ability or competence to produce a solution that it might actually work, given all these different complexities. And remember, these officials are voted in, right? It's not like to to become a politician or or. Or um, you know, to become a politician to vote in these laws, you need to take an exam or you need to prove how smart you are. Anybody can get elected as long as they get the majority of the votes, they get elected, and now all of a sudden, they're steering this this economic ship. Um, and supposedly the the socialists really strongly believe in democracies, although they and this is why democracies aren't really that that great is because. All you're doing is voting for a person, and as long as that person gets the majority vote, all of a sudden they have all this power. But why should they get all this power? I mean, just because we, uh, as a majority, voted for that person to get all this power, what makes him just to get that power? Is it just because we all said, let's uh, give him that power, therefore he deserves that power? What if we all vote for the wrong person? What if somebody else was supposed to get the power, but because we followed this democratic um style this democratic format the another person gets it um so once you start realizing government is just a bunch of officials that we vote for and they have no knowledge, no uh uh understanding in depth understanding of the of the complexities of the economy, then you could say, you know what government really is not the solution we should really if i believe in that if i believe in, in in you can relate it back to the ecosystem if i believe that nature if you let it work on its own um whether it be a, a mystical uh interpretation of it or maybe you might have some scientific uh explanation although i i would disagree with that but let's say you have this scientific um belief of how nature can work without human intervention, try to apply that to the economy. Maybe the economy could work in a way similar to the ecosystem where things just balance out into equilibrium without human intervention. Um, And that when government steps in, just as how people and government step into uh, and cause a lot of problems in terms of the natural environment and the ecosystem, um, maybe the same could apply for the economy.